Hello, everyone. I'm Natasha Ryan, and this is the North Group's podcast, Time to Head North. And I am so excited to put a much-needed topic on the table today, especially around the holidays. It's more important than ever to discuss mental health. And to do that with me, I have Scott Hooper and Janina Linka. I'm going to let you guys introduce a little bit about yourself before we get into this great conversation. Uh, Janina, why don't you kick us off? All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Janina. I currently work for Crisis24, working as an embedded uh, intelligence analyst for a multinational beverage company um, based in London. And I have worked in choice protection. I'm a qualified EMT and I grew up in South Africa and studied there as well. Um, Big mental health advocate and very interested in taking this discussion further. Thanks, Janina. Scott? Yeah, good morning. I am the senior program manager for At Risk International. Uh, I currently sit on an embedded team in Seattle. Um, 15 years in the military, uh, two tours in Afghanistan, and I was a cop for about four or five years. Um, and then I moved out to Seattle and been out here since uh, 2012. Nice. Okay. And of course, I'm the VP of communications, hence the podcast hosting. And I would like to point out, Janine and I were chatting. If you're watching, this is not a virtual background. This is what it looks like right now. So that's why I put the camera this way to uh, to frame the beautiful winter wonderland that is north of Seattle right now. Um, so to give our listeners and viewers a little bit of a background, if you didn't make it to IPSB in Vegas this year, Janina took the stage and by far was, in my opinion, one of the most talked about um, panelists there because she put a spotlight on mental health within uh, within an industry that typically hasn't openly talked about mental health and the devastating effects that can happen when you don't treat mental health or get help for yourself when you're struggling. And when Janina spoke, it was all eyes, all ears on, you were vulnerable. And I think that was so appreciated, just the authenticity of what you were saying and the openness uh, to, to what you've gone through. And so, um, you know, the winter wonderland's beautiful. Obviously I am serious about it being the holiday season. While a lot of us are sipping eggnog, singing Christmas carols, it can be pretty triggering and traumatic for people that are struggling mentally. Um, so I think this is the most opportune time to have this conversation. So Janina, first and foremost, I want to hear, you know, why putting this topic out there is so important to you. Why are you getting up on the stage talking about it? So I need to give the credit to Chris Story um, from the board of directors of the board of the IPSB. Um, He invited me to speak about this because I had been chatting to Chris and Chuck and Kristen Leonardson about um, my own mental health, my journey for a while now, since I did the podcast with them on conversations in close protection. And he invited me to come up and talk because he thought I'm open and available to talk about my story. I have no qualms in putting myself out there. And he and the IPSB team identified that it is one of the most pressing issues in our industry. And I know that I am not alone in dealing with my own issues, but I also know that there are groups and hubs of people out there who are dealing with it themselves or in small groups as well. And by bringing it to the foreground and talking about it and removing the stigma and the shame and just talking about it as if it is a normal thing, which it is, um, we can just overcome it and move forward because it is a basic issue which affects us inordinately and I think holds us back as a group of professionals. So I'm very, I didn't think this would be the hill I would die on, but because I have experience with it and because I'm passionate about helping other people and professionalizing our industry, um, I'm very happy to talk about it and um, share what I know. And I know not everybody's trauma comes from the same place, but I think when we see other people be vulnerable, our compassion is ignited and we can stand together against 
something that affects all of us to some degree. Scott, as a man in the industry, um, you know, it's no secret a lot of uh, a lot of EP guys, especially they feel like they need to keep up this persona of nothing can affect me strong warrior type. Is it I mean, are you seeing more men put this on the table as well? Uh, in a roundabout way, yes. Uh, and when we do medical training, we talk about <clears throat> TBIs a lot of, of times. Um, a lot of folks in our industry have done four, five, six, seven, eight tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. They've been blown up a ton of times, uh, you know, loud explosions next to their themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's it's being discussed, but in a roundabout way of traumatic injury. Um, I think it's just now starting coming to light now with groups like vets, uh, veterans exploring treatment solutions. Uh, the, what's happening is there are small groups like uh, Janina saying there's small groups that are starting to say, okay, enough's enough. Mm -hmm. um, we, we need to do something. Um, there's a lot of talk with, uh, you know, guys like Joe Rogan bringing up the, you know, psychedelic treatments and things like that. So yeah. a lot of people are starting to take interest. Um, and there's a lot of small pockets and small groups that are really exploring treatment solutions because I don't care who you are. The toughest guy on the planet, um, five, six, seven tours and seeing the things that, that, that you see is going to affect anybody. There's things you just can't unsee. That's the thing. You can't unsee things. And we did, you know, to put it in perspective, if you've never served, I, I haven't, my dad did, but I did a podcast with someone that teaches at West Point, And he said, you know, I think about it this way, your whole life, you are trained that you don't hurt women and children, right? That's a mortal sin. It's awful. And then you go to combat and women and children are used as tools. And if you don't shoot, you're not going home to see your family, right? So all of a sudden now you've committed this mortal sin and you do it in battle. And then you have to come home and you have to back into culture where that's a horrific thing and there's very to little help none to little no to little help uh to reconcile with that right and so when you say see what we've seen think about that let that sit in like war calls for horrific things to be done and no one wants to do them but at the end of the day it is a you or them mentality, right? And everyone wants to come home to their kids. So when we talk about getting help, Janina, you said something on the stage that I thought was brilliant. You know, we take time to go get our hair done. We take time to, you know, go buy the latest, uh, you know, the cutest coat we've seen. Like we take time to do all of these things. But when we say we don't have time for therapy, we're not investing in the number, and I'll let you say it because you said it better than I will, but we're not investing in the number one thing that can affect your happiness. I want you to reiterate what you said because it was just, it was a ding, ding, ding moment. Like, because I'm guilty of that, right? Like, shit, when would I find time to go to therapy and talk about my stuff, you know? And 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 I don't, you know, like I don't have the PTSD from, from you know, the, the service aspect, but talk about that for me. <laughs> um, thank you so much. It was um, honestly that that talk was um, difficult to chat about, um, but was wonderfully received. And I had a lot of feedback about what uh, resonated with specific people. And actually, what you're saying about therapy and taking time to look after yourself, that was one of the biggest things. Because when you are in this profession, or if you are a driven individual, or if you are just trying to survive as a parent or as a partner or as a, you know, as a child to somebody else, you put everything before yourself, or at least I do, because yep. you want to do that extra course, you want to take on extracurricular activities, you want to impress people and impress yourself and, you know, earn the money and get the prestige. And the thing that suffers is usually our sleep, um, our mental health care habits, 
um, you know, like sleep hygiene. We, we're working late into the night and we expect to be able to switch off at the drop of a hat. Um, yeah, we, something's got to give. And very often we take for granted that our bodies don't just function um, because we ask them to. They, they require that input, that healthy input of food, um, healthy mental stimuli, you know, and rest. And that's what we forget that we need to, that, that requires upkeep and maintenance. And that is the key to happiness, right? Like you have to have those things. So well, I don't know about happiness, but contentment. Yes. Happiness. Yes. Yes. Um, um, so something we've talked about off camera that I think we should bring up in the podcast is, and you know, I don't think most people know the difference. I don't between PTSD and complex PTSD. Scott, what is the difference? The complex is you've uh, experienced PTSD multiple times throughout your life. Um, for example, um, I was left at a truck stop by my mother when I was a child. Um, I was a survivor of an accident at Pope Air Force Base. Um, not a whole lot of people know about it. Uh, it was a F-16 crashed into us while we were loading planes to go do a, a fun jump uh, as a paratrooper. Uh, over 100 people were killed. Thousands were burnt. Um, and then combat and then being a cop and then just multiple things throughout my life. Uh, and we were off camera talking about this and you, you're going through PTSD. You don't even know you have it. And it hasn't built up to the point to where, where I said, okay, I'm going to go get treatment now. You're, you're not there yet, but you've, you're dealing with PTSD throughout your entire life. Uh, and Janina, you may be able to elaborate a little bit more on it. Yeah, complex PTSD, um, I think it manifests uh, more intensely. Um, having multiple traumas over a long period of time, um, it will rewire the way that your brain works. Um, it will inform the way you behave and it will take longer to deal with it. Um, there are triggers that will bring back something that you have dealt with, uh, whether you like it or not. Um, for example, if you are just walking with your client and it's a sunny day and somebody on a motorcycle decides they need to really show off and they just open up and gun it and it backfires and that really loud sound could take you back to a place that you don't necessarily want to be um, from a civilian standpoint, you know, whatever trauma you've experienced, for example, a rape, you see somebody who looks a certain way um, and they're acting in a certain way that could put you in a mindset or throw you back into that situation and distract you from where you need to be in that moment. And getting treatment for that can reduce the effects of these triggers on you so that you can become a more focused and self-aware individual. But um, complex PTSD is definitely something that not many of us realize that we're going through because a lot of things that happen to us in our lifetimes, we don't recognize it as trauma. Um, even as a child, you know, having, having, having the safety of your family unit disrupted um, having, being disciplined by being beaten is a very old school way of thinking of it. But if you think about it, no child should be, I mean, in a very liberal sense of the word, to, to enforce a lesson with violence. Um, it's not always the way to go and it will affect the child uh, long term, um, much more than the lesson you were trying to teach. So being self-aware and, and recognizing when things are not quite okay. And, and you, yeah, when, when you're not okay, um, you're not supposed to live in fear or in sadness, or you're supposed to be having fun. And if you're not having fun, then you could maybe take some time to look at uh, what's distracting you from, from life. 
from being present entirely. I don't know, Scott, did that? Um, yeah, yeah, you hit it on the, on the head. Um, Scott, how hard is it to fight through triggers? It's just, it's such everything situational. Um, I could be on a resort um, by the pool, drinking a, a cocktail, having a great time, um, and then, like I was saying, one of my triggers is having kids scream near me. Um, even if they're having a good time, they're just playing. I have to leave the the area. I just have to leave. It, it drives me insane. Um, and it, 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 it'll grab you in the most inopportune time too. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those difficult things. And especially when you're working uh, and, and like Janina was saying, when you're with, with a principal uh, or you're on a detail doing halls and walls, uh, there are certain times that you just suck it up and deal with it at yeah. the time. Um, but it will for sure grab you and <laughs> you're like, oh, crap, here we go. You know, the reason Scott, you and I talked about you coming on, and I want to jump into this because the treatment aspect, when you were talking about what we're about to go into, I was mind blown, right? So once you make the decision, okay, I'm struggling, and I need to get help. Scott, how, what was your journey like to find that? Uh, I give a little bit of credit to my wife. Actually, I give all the credit to my wife. She's like, go get help or I'm leaving you. Yeah. Um, Which is usually what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she pushed me. Uh, but then when I brought the solution to her, um, she was like, oh, hell no, you're not going to do that. Uh, and I'm like, well, for me, saying words isn't fixing anything. Sitting down with the traditional therapist wasn't going to work. The, you know, the tap therapies they were suggesting I do and, you know, none of that was going to work. Uh, so what I did is I went and I found something that was legal, something that was safe, but I needed help immediately. Um, so I did uh, ketamine assisted therapy, which is a psychedelic um, it, it was, uh, six weeks, uh, with therapist sessions before and after the ketamine treatment. Um, and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. From the very first session I had, I've, the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. Talk about what a session looks like. Cause I have no idea. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I have to go the day before the ketamine treatment, I have to go sit with my therapist and we talk about and what I want to get out of that session, uh, an intention. Um, so that is going through your mind uh, prior to uh, getting the IV uh, and the ketamine hitting your system. So you're thinking about that and it's, you're listening to music um, and you got a blindfold on. So it's completely dark and you're just into the treatment itself and you're thinking in your head you know what your intention for today is going to be um and it's funny uh i go back to my last session which i and it was going to be my last session so i wanted my intention to be long-term healing uh so the ketamine kicks in and psychedelics are the most amazing thing i've ever uh, experience because it will show you the problem and the solution. And when I went into that last session, it took me back to eight years old. Um, I, uh, crazy. I hadn't thought about that. I literally took that, uh, experience and blocked it, put it in the back of my mind. And I hadn't even thought about it in 30 years, but the ketamine, said, no, if you want long-term healing, start there. Wow. I, hadn't I, mean, even I didn't even explain it to my therapist. I had forgotten about it. And I'm like, oh, shit, I need to tell you something. 
Isn't that crazy? So what, I mean, what was, how long ago was the last treatment? Six months ago. Okay. So what was life like prior to treatment and what has life like been post-treatment? Yeah. Um, and Janine, tell me if you had the, you know, if, if this is a like experience for you, um, I was in a very, very dark place and I couldn't get myself out of it. Um, like really dark. Um, I would wake up, uh, raging for no reason, just raging. Um, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to socialize. Um, my wife called me the basement troll because I stayed in my man cave all the time. Um, and then once I did the treatment, um, like I said, the way the world was lifted off my shoulders and I, <clears throat> my wife tells me I do things now that I'd never used to do before. Having, you know, like what? Convers having random conversations with people. Um, if she asked me to do something that I absolutely hate to do, I would prior, I would just say, eh, absolutely not. I'm not doing it now. I'm like, okay, let's go. So she's seeing the little changes uh, with me and uh, she really noticed it when I had, I was still feeling the effects of the ketamine and I had to take a work call on my way home and she's got to drive me home. Uh, but she goes, that was the most craziest conversation you've ever had that I've, I've heard you had. It was so clear. It was very thought out. Uh, she goes, that's amazing. I'm like, yeah, I'm still drunk <laughs> from the ketamine. <laughs> so no, th there's a lot of different changes now. So, um, you're willing to do things that you didn't want to do before. Um, and it's, it's just changing the pathways in your brain. It's, it's making those changes for you. I'm so happy to hear that it had this kind of result for you. For someone that's listening to this and says, hi, I wonder if that could help me. How do they begin the road to finding someone that does this kind of treatment? Um, what does that look like with your job? Do you have to have a conversation with your boss and say, hey, I'm going to be on this and I'm kind of out of pocket for a while? Like, how does that work? I didn't tell anybody, to be honest. <clears throat> I just did it. Uh, I did it for my own sanity because uh, I knew I needed it. Um, right after right after my last session, about a week after I get a call, um, go ahead. Take a minute. Janina, uh, you know, hearing Scott's experience, what was your experience with treatment like? What route did you choose? Oh, gosh. So my anxiety and depression um, resultant of the traumas that have happened from childhood onwards, um, I sought out treatment when I was about 16 or 17. Um, I kind of took my mum's antidepressants that I found and uh, tried to self-medicate. Um, and then at a later stage, I found um, a psychologist and a psychiatrist um, and they put me on pharmaceutical drugs, which took forever to find the right combination because everybody's brains are so different. You have to find the right combination. And then cognitive behavioral therapy and talk therapy. And I was actually in therapy when I tried to commit suicide the second time, I think. And um, then I found that I was shying away from these traditional treatments that didn't work because I was finding no relief. And in fact, talking about it was a matter of re-traumatizing yourself. And eventually, as you kind of decide not to go down the I cannot exist in this world and take yourself out of the picture. You try and change the way you exist in the world. So I kept on researching treatment methodologies. And then eventually I came across the EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprogramming. And that is a treatment that is generally used in PTSD. You don't have to talk about your 
your um, problems, you literally allow the therapist to guide you through a series of um, actions and it will allow the body to subconsciously process the trauma and the feelings associated with that trauma as it comes up. And I found that was really helpful because it was unlike talk therapy with the psychologist where they open up a can of worms and then after an hour they're like, oh, okay, time's up, you gotta go. And you're left with this like bag full of worms. You're like, I don't know what to do with this now. Yeah. EMDR was opening it up, dealing, delving, shoving around in that bag and then very nicely closing it up so that you can leave that session and go away and be a functional adult. And EMDR for me as a, a trauma therapy has really been incredibly helpful. Um, I have, I'm still on my antidepressants. They have pretty brutal side effects because <laughs> the, the medication I'm on is only supposed to be a short-term usage, but because it works so well in common, in, in, like synergistically, I don't really want to go up off it without finding a new treatment method. So talking to Scott and hearing his experiences with ketamine makes me hopeful that there will come a time when I'm ready and when there is a, um, a psychotropic uh, medication and, and treatment available to me that I can eventually leave this drug away. Because I'm I'm thinking the, the route to depression and the route to anxiety stems from uh, an event, a traumatic event or otherwise, that has changed the way your brain is wired. And in order to renormalize or reprogram that and get, get because when, when your brain stores trauma, it's dissociative and it's in different parts of the brain and it cannot form a, a, a story. So reordering the brain using psychotropics is my next goal. Um, and it's it's scary because the brain chemistry is so <clears throat> fragile and I don't want to mess with it too much. But Scott's story has really been inspirational. How hard is it to find someone that does that, Scott? Actually, it's not hard at all. Um, <clears throat> more and more states um, are starting to bring psychedelics into the, the realm. And the VA is also doing it as well in short little uh, or it's dependent on the individual, um, <clears throat> and the state. So it, it, there's companies like mind bloom, uh, they'll ship ketamine right to you and then they'll get on a conference call, uh, while you're on it, make sure you, everything goes well. Um, I had a therapist in the room. I had two nurses and they had me hooked up to an EKG to make sure everything was safe. Um, and, the first time around, they go a very low dose just to see how your body's going to react. Um, yeah. And then they ramp it up after that. Um, but I'm finding more and more states are starting to open up and accept it. Um, you're not going to get the ayahuasca or uh, psychedelics like that in the United States just yet. Uh, I just heard, um, I can't remember what state it was. They're, they're starting to introduce psilocybin. Uh, and I think in Washington state, uh, psilocybin's legal. That's just a mushroom. Um, yeah. But, you know, licking frogs and stuff like that, that's still not legal. <clears throat> Is it expensive to get this kind of treatment? Yeah. Um, to be helpful, uh, if you're going to look at it, call your insurance company. Uh, they will pay for uh, the IV, the nurses, the EKG, they'll pay for a portion of, of it, but they won't pay for the ketamine yet. Uh, and it depends on your insurance company. Each insurance company is different and, and they will work with you to, to cover it. Uh, it is around six, six grand for me. Um, okay. But your insurance will cover a portion of it. Um, okay. <clears throat> like I was saying earlier, uh, about a week after I got done doing my session, I had a really good friend commit suicide. I'm sorry. He he was experiencing the same things I was. Janina's right. Now's the time to get the word out. You know, if we can save one person. And it's, you know, it's so hard to hear that news and watch that. So now that you've been on the 
other side of the treatment. I mean, the passion inside of you to get the word out and help more people struggling. I mean, it just must be so much more amplified, right? Yeah, I want to tell everybody. And you don't have to wait until you get to the point of suicide. That is the final final point, and it's it's a final point you don't want to realize. You want to act when you realize things are starting to st circle the drain and when things are starting to become unmanageable and when things are, you know, you're just letting things slide, like life is juggling glass balls and some of them are glass, some of them are plastic, but when you're letting too many balls drop, that's when you need help, not when you're sitting in the corner with the balls broken around you, you know, and that's that's where, you know, asking asking your employer or talking to your employer about taking time off to do these kinds of treatment, that's where employers need to start realizing that this is very simple employee assistance. This should be covered by either the company or your, your company's medical aid. Um, it's going to improve your talent retention. It's going to boost performance. It's going to prevent that employee from going down that dark path. And it's it's incredibly brave um, of Scott to to stand here and say, you know, he didn't he did not tell anyone or ask anyone. He just did it, and he did what he needed mm -hmm. to do in that moment, and it turned out incredibly well. And it's brave. It, it takes incredible courage to advocate for yourself. What do you think the main hesitation is about getting, um, whether it be antidepressants, whether it be psychedelics, uh, you know, to get the help? What do you think the main hesitation is? Is it saying I have a problem? Is it what happens if my employer finds out I'm on, on antidepressants? What do you think the main hiccup is in people getting the help they need in our industry? Scott and I were talking about this. I'm sorry. Scott, go go ahead, because you know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, <clears throat> I think it's twofold uh, on the EP side of the house. Um, everybody is strong-minded individuals. Uh, most of the folks have been through horrific things themselves. They can get through it. Um, so there's that portion. And then there's the stigma of, hey, I, you know, I'm taking an antidepressant and I'm carrying a, you know, a gun and I have my uh, uh, client right next to me. And there's a huge stigma around that. Even I ha even I have a problem with that. I don't want, I, you know, if I know somebody's on a substance, even though it's helping them and it's, it's not affecting their lives one way or another, there's a stigma of, the principal's right next to me. I have to protect the principal. And I know this guy or girl is on this. I don't know if I want them in that situation. So there's a stigma around that. Um, I don't know anything about um, antidepressants. I've never experienced it. So I don't know what it feels like to be on one. <clears throat> um, so Tina, I think why don't just, you talk about that? Yeah, there just needs to be a discussion around that. Yeah, why don't you talk about what it does, what it feels like, if it changes your ability to react in situations, you know, why don't you address that? Absolutely. Um, sorry, just one thing on the stigma part of it. If you ask me, do I want somebody who has recognized their problem and taken action by taking medications to be on task? Or do I want somebody with unrecognized, untreated, issues to be on task, I will go for the person who has identified their issues and taken steps to deal with the issue 10 times out of 10. Um, sorry, That's a great so... Point. That's a great point, yeah. <laughs> um, antidepressants, God, there are so many, and the tough thing is I only came across the right ones when I were admitted, self-admitted myself <clears throat> to a mental health clinic for three weeks. Um, I was in a very bad relationship at the time and I realized if I don't do something about this, something's gonna go wrong. So every single one of those days of those three weeks, I worked with a psychiatrist and a psychologist to find out which combination of specific drugs worked with the chemistry in my own brain. And I know that it's not um, an option for everyone, 
But taking drugs is taking pharmaceutical grade drugs to treat mental illness. It's a matter of consistency. It doesn't work overnight. Uh, it builds up small levels within your uh, brain. The chemical composition changes within your brain over a period of one to three months. And that's when the effects of the antidepressant or the anti-anxiety medication will even out and you can get an average um you can get an average uh, idea of what it will be like to be on this drug and if it doesn't work then you can switch something out and see how that works with your brain chemistry um if you don't take the drug for a day or two it's not going to matter but after three days you can start feeling a change um it does take a while until you find the right combination for you and I think it was Desi Maynor on the podcast who said consistency is the best attack on resilience. And to be consistent in your pursuit of getting better, no matter what you use, um, that is that is the best way to go about it. And if you need to get pharmaceutical drugs to sort out yourself in this immediate moment, then be consistent in finding the right thing. You know, don't be afraid to trial and error uh, a bunch of different drugs under the supervision of a psychiatrist um, to try and find the right one. It's sometimes hit and miss, but when you get the relief you need, you realize that you can see in color again. You wake up not wanting to not exist. You look forward to something else besides the next meal. Um, you don't look at every high building as an opportunity. <laughs> you start having relationships that... Um, mean something they're not for someone else they're for you you don't sacrifice your yourself for somebody else's happiness um being on antidepressants for me has meant the desire to make a difference and to create a legacy and to be something to somebody or to some other people besides myself and it's also the I recognize it's not a long-term thing, but it's definitely helped me in the midst of a crisis to survive long enough to make a long-term plan to get out of that crisis later. You know, when you talk about the drugs being trial and error, you know, just from personal, um, you know, per, like past uh, situations that I've had, I found that to be with therapists too, right? Not every therapist is your therapist. Like that's trial and error too. There are people that specialize in different things and you may have to try on a few before you find someone that can actually help you. Um, I want to go back. You know, you, you said you don't see every high building as an opportunity. I, I want to talk about this because again, you know, that, when, you know, we, we see suicide, we see it in our veteran community and it's heartbreaking. And sometimes people have a comment like, man, they had kids. That's so selfish. How could they do that? Right. So I want to bring people to a point of understanding what it's like in that, in those moments where you see that high building and you think, I can't do this anymore. Like what, what is in your mind at that moment you know, Janina, you are a suicide survivor. What was going through your mind in the moment you attempted? And I know this is a dark place. And if you don't feel comfortable going back there, I'm totally understand. But I just want, I want to try to get people that are maybe a little critical and judgmental to understand the point of desperation someone's at when they make that attempt. Fuck it. That's what goes through your mind. Fuck it. Fuck this. Fuck everything. Fuck you. Fuck the world. <laughs> to put it bluntly. Well, that's that's what I'm looking for. You, as, as someone with depression, uh, you have a reduced ability to roll with the blows. And there comes a point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I can't be something to anybody. I can't even look after myself. I can't wash myself. I can't feed myself. Just fuck it. Let's just end it all. And if you believe in reincarnation, let's respawn in another life. Or let's just go to heaven already. Or hell, whatever. Um, 
And that's, that's a constant, that's an option for people with depression. Sometimes if it's that bad, um, it's, it's an option. So building up your resilience towards, uh, being able to, you know, deal with stuff so that it doesn't become the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, yeah. Scott? So, <clears throat> um, my friend that committed suicide, when I was at his wake, I, I was talking with his wife and they were having the same conversations me and my wife are having. The same exact conversations. And I, it, I kind of look at that twofold of I wasn't there yet, but he was. And he had two young, kid, two young boys. Um, but he was at that point and it was just mind blowing to me that they were having the same conversations we were having. Uh, and he was just at a different level than I was. I, he was at his end. I, um, and what, what, what gets me and, and the reason I want to do this now is if I could have talked to him one week earlier and let him know about my experience, it may have saved his life. It gave him another option, another out than suicide. So that's my regret. I hope you don't carry that with you because you don't, you're doing. It helps, it helps doing th this. Yeah. To, to get the word out to the community. Yeah. And then I want, again, everyone to hear this. When you're in that state, you don't even have the ability to wash yourself. This is, this is, I want to talk about this because when I went, again, I'm not comparing myself to what anyone saw in a war zone, right? I can't do that. I, I don't know what that's like. But what I can talk about is the trauma of a really nasty divorce. And I did go through that. And I was at such a low point fighting for my kids and battling, you know, this awful mess. And I remember just the ability to get out of bed and take a shower felt like you were moving the seas. I mean, it just felt like, can I get that done today? You know? And I remember my therapist said, Natasha, I know it sounds stupid, but I'm checklist oriented. I like a checklist to feel accomplished at the end of the day. And she said, put brush hair on the checklist, put, take a shower. And I went, that's so stupid. You know, like everyone can do that. Like that's not an accomplishment. And she was like, in what you are dealing with in your state, it is an accomplishment. It's self-care put it on the list. And I literally for weeks checked off, take a shower, checked off, brush my hair. And so there is, there is, I think people need to understand that point, that lack of ability to do the normal things when you're in a depressed state, right? So <clears throat> it's not a choice of, I'm going to leave, you know, everyone else to deal with life and see ya. It is a, what you're saying, Janina, to be clear, mm -hmm. is a, I can't even take care of myself. How am I supposed to help anyone in this world? Right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And, um, we have to help ourselves before we can help anyone else. Um, I definitely think that we, sorry, next question. <laughs> <laughs> you're so, fine. So Natasha, when you're talking about um, getting the word out and everything else, <clears throat> your podcast with Laura, Laura Hoffner, um, I, I thought about something during that and I love your podcast, how you do this, because as I'm watching the videos, I want to interject, but I can't interject, <laughs> but it's such a great, it's just a great conversation piece well, but, uh, with your pod, with your podcast with her. Um, I started thinking about the industry as a whole, um, and at what we do for a living. And I started thinking about like, uh, our intelligence analyst and our protective intel analyst, um, especially if they're in the dark and deep web all day long, what yep. that toll takes in, uh, on the mind. And let's, let's be real. We deal in chaos every day and we look for chaos. Uh, 
even in the dark web uh, to find the, the threats and everything else. And that's got it. I think she said she spent a week watching beheadings. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's got, you can't unsee that stuff and it takes a toll. Um, and for, for the industry to start leaning into this and really helping their people, they, they have to realize that, uh, what we do for a living takes a toll on everybody. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's okay to say, Hey, how are you doing? You know, let's get you out of the dark web for a couple of days. Um, you know, get their mind right again. And, you know, I will tell you, and I, I, Laura and I talked about this. She was reluctant at first to even post the article because that podcast spun out of a conversation we had about an article that she shared on her LinkedIn feed, a Rand article about the trauma that Intel analysts experience. And, and then she said, screw it. I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to go on a podcast and talk about it. So it's, you know, it's steps like the, what everyone is taking and more people, if we could just get a stronger force and then it's what you said, right. Then we have to have the employer component where there's empathy and compassion and a duty of care for the people that experience this horrific stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you, I didn't, when we say you can't unsee it, I, part of the reason I left the news business is because you'd go to these scenes, like back in the day before there were PIOs, when the cops would call you and tip you off and you'd go chat on the sideline. And because they felt like, okay, especially in small town America, you're one of the only people that is also privy to the horrific details of the crime scene, right? So then they start sharing more than is in the criminal complaint form. And while I saw murder scenes and bodies, you know, the the stuff about kids, especially for me, like reading what happened in detail and then hearing the cops talk about it, I didn't even, you know there were crime scene photos, but I typically didn't go that route. I couldn't, you know, um, but even envisioning it in my mind, like how you envision a book and the characters and seeing that faux scene that I painted just from reading the details stayed with me for decades. And I didn't even see it or commit it. And, and I mm -hmm. just can't imagine the pain of having to actually see the site right? Like the actual scene. So from an outsider perspective, knowing everything that, that the, the community does and the sector does, I just, my deepest hope is that there is an acknowledgement of what folks do in this industry is hard. It is hard on the heart. It's hard on the mind. And if you need help, there are so many people, if you don't know, I always say, if you don't know who to reach out to, to discuss this. Anyone that's been on these podcasts will help you. Janina will help you. Scott yeah. will help you get to the right person. I will help you. Steve Hernandez, my CEO will help you. Laura Hoffner will help you. Anyone will help you if you reach out, you know, to get to the right next step. That's all any of us want is for you to reach out, acknowledge I'm suffering, and then let's move forward and help, help you get the help you need. Um, any closing thoughts or anything else you want to you want to add before we call it? Yeah, um, I think it's important to look at uh, the workforce, EP protectors, employers, everybody as individuals. Um, sometimes the trauma that we experience is not necessarily one that we cannot forget, but one that our minds shuts off because it was so much, and we behave and act in a way that we don't know is informed by our previous traumas. Um, the mind is an incredibly complex uh, organism and we have to be careful with it and we have to rely on the strength of it. And we have to rely on our own resilience and believe that we can get through anything because even if we don't see it in the moment, we can. And we are our greatest enemy and our own greatest cheerleader. And how you show up is a decision that you make every single day. And one thing 
that I live by is the phrase, you can do hard things. You can get through this, you can get through anything, you can do hard things. Um, yeah, that's it from me. Oh, really. yeah. You can do hard things. And there is light at the end. There is light at the end. Always. Scott? Yeah, so on top of the therapy, um, I did a half century checkup um, with labs and uh, all that stuff. <clears throat> and I started putting the pieces together is the mind and body worked together. Um, and I was finding things in my labs that was contributing to a lot of what was going on in my mind. Uh, I found out that uh, uh, my DHD levels were off the charts for some reason, which was causing me to rage. That's what my rage was coming from was high levels of DHT in my system. So I had to figure that out through um, uh, my doctor as well. So not only, you know, going to a therapist, whatever you want to do, if you want talk therapy, if you want, uh, you know, SSRIs or psychedelic, whatever you want, just get therapy. And then also get with your doctor and, and check your, your labs, uh, because that could be contributing a lot of what's going on inside your head. That's a great point. And again, I, I think everyone should have a therapist. <laughs> the world would be great if everyone had someone to just go ping all their problems to and then, you know, and talk it through. And so, you know, uh, it were it worked for me, Scott, I hear you, you went a different route. I, I encourage everyone to seek, you know, whatever works for them. And I, I think the industry is starting to turn that corner. I'm seeing more and more conversations. Um, I had a great conversation with my employer. Um, he was amazed and he is, he's got my back. That's awesome. I love to hear that. Hey, I can't thank the two of you enough. Uh, for once again, being vulnerable, being real, putting it out there, having this conversation is so important to just empowering other people that were in the spots you were in, reach out for help. So that is our goal. Um, again, time to head north. Uh, the other podcast we're talking about, Intel Analysts and Mental Health, that's on our website, tngdefense.com. You can find that. Um, if you just want the audio, of course, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Reach out if you need it, and we will see you soon. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Janina. Thank you. Thanks, Natasha. Thanks, Scott.